Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want you to do me a favor this morning. I want you to look around. Go ahead, look around. Now look at the other people you didn't want to look at earlier. Look around. Here's what you see. You see people who don't look like you. You see people who don't dress like you, who don't live where you live, who don't drive what you drive, who don't watch the same news you watch, they don't vote the same way you do. In just about every arena of life, you're going to see somebody in here that's in a different place than you are. But how amazing is church? A place that we can come with all of our diversity and yet remain in unity and one purpose and one mission. I would dare say you don't have another environment in your entire week where there's this much diversity yet this much unity all at the same time. And it definitely doesn't exist on your couch as you're surfing the news. And it definitely doesn't exist on your phone when you're scrolling through those social media feeds. But I'm just so grateful that it exists here in the house of God. Rich, poor, young, old, black, white, it don't matter. The blood of Jesus unites all of us. There's something about knowing that identity, knowing who you are in Christ, that really makes all the difference. That's been the genesis of this series that we've been in, made for this. It's really, it's really been a series about identity. I started off a couple weeks ago um, talking about connection, and contribution, how you were made to connect, you were made to, to contribute and what that looks like in our lives. So I was super, super excited to have Miss Michelle Aranza come and share with us on Mother's Day some of those identity things for mamas, right? Just, just mama identity type stuff. And then Pastor David came, told us that we were made for spiritual family. I know many of us had our eyes open to the idea that this is what it's supposed to look like. I mean, look around, heaven looks like this. Heaven looks like this. I was thankful to have Tim Tebow and his supermodel wife, Demi, come and, and speak to us. And you would think that Tim was made for football. And you may think that she was made for supermodeling, but we got the privilege to have them come up here and say, no, we were made for something much bigger than that. And you were too. And Pastor Gabe came last week, shared with us about selfless devotion and how we were made to think about others. We were made to consider others and just the generosity that comes from those things. Is that not an amazing topic to be thinking about today? Our identity, and I wanna continue in some of those same thoughts. Uh, there, there are different ways you can hear from God. For those of us that are believers, um, one of those ways is that still small voice. You know what I'm talking about, right? The one that says, don't do that. You should do that, right? That still small voice we have inside. Another way is through God's word. When we read, we see God's word come alive to us. And the other way is through godly counsel. As you surround yourself with people more mature than you are, further down the road who love and who care for you, they can speak God's truth to you. God can speak to you through those ways. And can I help you? They'll never contradict each other. Those three ways will never contradict. You want to know what God's word is for you or what he says about a situation? Start with those three. And typically it's been my experience that when one of those is fairly quiet, the other one's speaking really loud. 
And it was in one of those moments, I was reading my, my Bible the other day, just devotionally, um, going through, and I, for about 20 years now, I've, I've had this thing with God, is God, if you'll, if you'll speak to me when I read your word, I'm gonna read with a pen in my hand. And if you'll speak to me, I'll write it down. And every day, every day I open my Bible and I grab my pen and I read. And whatever God speaks to me, I write down. And some days I put more questions and more question marks in my Bible than, than I do answers or things that he shows me and that's okay. But every day I wanna be in the word, I wanna be reading. And it was in one of, those, one of those moments that I came across this verse. I'd like to start with this passage today as we dig into made for this, how, are we, how we're made, what our identity is. Um, in, in Christ. I came across this verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and Peter the apostle, he's writing, and here's what he says. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, in other words, this is who's writing to you, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And as I'm reading that, some things just kind of jumped off the page at me. And I want to use those as a launching point, if you will, for what we're going to talk about today. Elect exiles. Peter's writing to Christians who grew up in a Jewish tradition, yet because of their Christian faith, were being exiled, they were being persecuted, they were being dispersed all over the region. And how many of you know the gospel was going with them? Peter's writing to them to say, hey, I know you're exiled, but I want to remind you, you're also elect. You're also chosen by God for a purpose. And it's almost as if he said, you're a millionaire refugee. You may think you've had to leave everything behind, but you're taking with you everything you need. And he's talking about, to these people, he's saying, I'm talking to Christians who are going through a hard time, yet have everything they need. They just may not realize that these elect exiles. And then we see this, this phrase in verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the fathers, if God knew something ahead of time, it reminds me of Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And this foreknowledge of God, the father might as well said this way, whom he foreknew, he also foreloved. God's loving intent for you comes out when he thinks about the things he has planned for you. That's what we see in this passage. And here's the one that really kind of took me a little bit. And it, man, this doesn't fit. Why in the world where Peter be talking to these believers according to what God has for them, these things that God has made them for, and then use this phrase, and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, I don't know if you've read scripture or if you know anything about Jesus and the price he paid for us, but how many of you realize it had nothing to do with sprinkling of his blood? It was anything but that. When his side was pierced and blood and water poured out, scripture doesn't say it sprinkled out. It, it poured out. And when I think about the lashes that he took for us, that wasn't a sprinkling of blood. What was it? Why did Peter try to use this language when he's talking about this? Sprinkling with blood is a priestly action. We, we read that in, in scripture and it's almost like God is saying there is something that these elect exiles, these, these millionaire refugees have been prepared for that in the eyes of scripture looks more like a priestly behavior than anything else. 
And it got me thinking, is it possible that what God has intended, that Christ executed for us, looks more like priestly activity? In other words, has Christ paved the way for a priesthood for every believer, a wealth according to the riches in Christ Jesus, and a posture that he intends for us to walk in, sprinkling with his blood? That's the activity of a priest. Why would he be talking to us like we're, like we're priests in that? Anybody ever watched the show Antiques Roadshow? You ever familiar with that? If you have, you need to check it out, at least a few episodes. It's, it's fascinating. It's in its 24th year um, of showing. And here's the premise. All of these people from all over the country go and they bring heirlooms or antiques that they found or things that they've picked up and they bring them to one place and all the experts are assembled. All these appraisers that know the value of things and how much they're worth and, and these people sit down with them and they have a conversation about where they came from. Oh, Mama gave it to me. You know, Papa had it hanging in his garage. You know, and, and all of these things. They bring them all kinds of stuff. Stuff you wouldn't even think about. And the appraiser sits down and tells them about the thing they have and how much value it is. It's fascinating, some of the stuff that would, that would do that. Lady brings a picture that was hanging at her grandmother's house that she just inherited. She's been keeping it in a closet, heard that Antiques Roadshow was coming through, and she wanted to know how much it was worth, only to find out this thing is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm like, whoa. On there, the show was a guy who bought some toys at an antique show, paid a couple hundred bucks for some uh, Buffalo Bill action figures from early 19th century, only to find out that they're worth almost ten to $20,000, and he picked them up for a couple hundred. It's phenomenal. I, there, was, there was an episode on there where they had hand-carved um, cup sets from ivory that they found in Asia somewhere. And he just happened to see them at the antique shop and picked them up, only to find out they appraised for over $1 million. It's, it's crazy, some of the stuff that's in there. Do you think they treated those things differently once they went home than when they did before? Yeah, kind of came in the back of a pickup truck, but now you know how much it's worth. It's bubble wrap, put in a shipping container, and this thing is, is, we're taking care of it, right? We pulled it out of the top of the closet, blew the dust off, but now it's going home in a display case because somebody who knows something said this was worth something. And I got to thinking, if you knew who you were and if you knew what value God has attributed to you, and done for you through Christ, I think you would act differently. I think you would treat yourself differently, and I think you would treat other people differently as well. That most of the problems and the challenges we have in life come because we don't understand the value of the things that we're interacting with. There are people going with their thumbs to social media, saying things to people they would never say if they knew the value of that person in God's eyes. There are people that are in relationships they would never stay in those relationships if they knew the value that God had placed on their life. And I think there's a reason scripture takes so much time and so much effort and so much emphasis to place a value on us. And I wanna spend a bit of time this morning kind of unpacking, I think, what Peter was referring to when he used this priestly language to refer to the role and the identity of every believer. He used priestly language to talk about you. And I wanna think... And I want to explain why I think that is. 
We, we learn about priests early on when we read in scripture. They were a special, unique group of individuals that God had set aside to conduct priestly activities. They would facilitate the sacrifice of sins to atone for people's sins. They represented God to the people. And scripture through Leviticus gives us this amazing picture of all the intricate details that went in to getting to them. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor Don, that, are you really about to preach out of Leviticus? I mean, that, that, that's the part of the scripture that if I turn to, I just keep turning because it doesn't make much sense to me. Can I tell you, church, the Old Testament and the New Testament share a very special relationship. A very special relationship. If you just spend all your time reading from the New Testament, you are missing a lot that God has and wants to share with you. If you only read the Old Testament, well, you're missing on something too. St. Augustine, one of our church fathers of early church history, said it this way, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Here's what that means. When we read and study the Old Testament, it prepares us for the coming truths that we discover in the New Testament. And when we study and read the New Testament, it reveals to us the fullness of the plan of God through the Old Testament. Look at me, church. One God, one scripture, two vantage points. One God, one scripture, two vantage points. And I want to encourage you, as you're reading every single day, read both the Old Testament, read both the New Testament. These Old Testament writings, like what I'm going to talk about in Leviticus, they are not to be skipped over or rejected just because you're not bringing an animal to the temple to be sacrificed. Just because Jesus has come and been the spotless lamb for us and has paid the price for us doesn't mean we get to skip over what we read in Exodus, understanding what the Passover means and all that. How amazing was that word Pastor Paul brought this morning for communion, tying both the Old Testament to the New Testament and probably one of the best examples of this relationship between the two Testaments in Scripture comes between the Old Testament book of Leviticus and the New Testament book of Hebrews. And I'm going to share today what I think you were made for by using both of those. Leviticus establishes these Jewish practices, these laws, these customs, really how to obey God. And then Hebrews comes and shows us that the point of all of those practices, the reason why all of those laws and customs were there and how they related to God's plan was to restore us to himself through Christ. Hebrews is like a commentary for Leviticus. Let's dig in a little bit deeper because here's the question we're asking. Are there any similarities to the Old Testament priesthood that we find in our own lives and in God's plans for our lives through Christ? Is there something that Peter knew about us as priests that we can look back on the priests in the Old Testament and realize something about ourselves, a value that we have ourselves that we never really realized? And I think it's important to ask that because if so, then you and I may be more special and more valuable than we think. And if we are, we should live differently. We should think differently. We should act differently. Spurgeon said this, he said, surely the way in which the sons of Aaron were ordained to their earthly and temporal priesthood is richly suggestive and intentionally typical of the manner in which God calls all of his people to their holy priesthood. Do you have a priesthood as a believer in Christ? 
Interesting question. I'm, I'm thankful for Spurgeon and R.T. Kendall and some of the other pastors that have gone before us really sharing some of these thoughts to open our eyes to some of this. And I think Leviticus chapter 8 gives us a pattern and a picture. Everybody say pattern. Everybody say picture of how the Old Testament priests were ordained or positioned to be able to perform their priestly duties. These are the actions, in other words, that were done or the steps that were taken in order to qualify them to minister to others or to have access to God. Let's read uh, several verses from Leviticus chapter 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons, and he washed them with water. Verse 10. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and he consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, and they anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stands to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with the coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering and he killed it. And Moses took the blood and with his finger he put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Verse 22. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and he killed it. And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he presented Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Verse 30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil of the blood that was on the altar and he sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his son's garments. So he consecrated Aaron and on his garments and his sons and his son's garments with them. Verse 34, Moses said, as has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. Now you may be sitting there thinking, ain't nobody rubbing any blood up on anybody's ear today in church. And if you even think about sprinkling something like that on me, you better think twice, Pastor Don. Listen, remember, we're asking the question, are there any revelations, are there any pictures or any patterns that God has for us through Christ now that we can look back at this picture of priestly ordination that will help us understand the role that we're to play in our own priesthood today? Has God provided us through Christ some of these same steps that allow us to minister to others and have direct access to the presence of God. I'm going to draw some parallels. I'm going to try to answer that question. And then I'm going to ask you today one of the most important questions I think uh, you could ever be asked. We start off in verse, tw- verse 6 and a little bit in 22 through 23. We get this picture of how he washed them. He cleansed them. Not just with water. They laid their hands on a ram and through the sacrifice, the shedding of the blood of that ram, their sins were atoned, atoned for. 
And just as he sacrificed that ram on behalf of their sins, Jesus Christ was sacrificed, paid for our sins as well. We understand that fully. The perfect spotless sacrifice of Jesus cleansed us forever. Everybody say, I'm forever cleansed. Yet we have this picture where daily, Exodus tells us, they would walk in and the priests, though they were cleansed, would wash their hands and their feet. And it gives me this amazing picture of my own life, knowing that I am forever cleansed, but still in need of daily washing. Still in need of daily washing. You ever been somewhere and you said something you know you shouldn't have said? God, Father, forgive me. Now I know I stand before God righteous because of the blood of Jesus, forever cleansed. But sometimes through my actions or things, I, I can bring discredit to the fellowship I have with God. I need to be daily washed in that. We have this picture, forever cleansed, but daily washed. Remember, the Old Testament is a picture of this New Testament truth that's concealed, and our New Testament understanding is made richer when we study the Old Testament. Come before God cleansed, but still daily washed. We need that. Verse 7 tells us he puts on them the priestly garments. In other words, he clothed, he clothed them. He put on them new clothes. We, we read about a white linen robe, the, the righteousness that was put on them. We read about a belt that was girded about their waist, allowing them to pick up the long parts of their robe and tie them up if they needed to run and, and be ready to go and have action. We read about a turban or a cap that they put on their head. You're only wearing a hat back then if you were somebody to set apart, to look across and see that's somebody of importance, that's somebody of value. In the prophet Isaiah, we read a prophecy about the coming Messiah. This is written about Jesus, referring to what he's going to do for us, but it was written back in the Old Testament. Listen to what it says about Jesus from Isaiah 61, verse 10. It says, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now think about this. That was written before Jesus. How valuable do you think, how important do you think the readers of that prophecy, of that Old Testament scripture would have felt about themselves knowing what Jesus was coming to prepare for them? See why they were so excited? To think that they could somehow be clothed with these garments of salvation. This Old Testament audience was looking forward. We get the privilege of looking backwards but it's the same truth. Jesus has clothed us in robes of righteousness. Here's the next one, verse 12. We see Moses poured the anointing oil on them. He anointed them. In ancient history, anytime the anointing was used, it was, it was usually used in some very specific ways. There was a, you would, you would use that formally to somehow solemnize or, or make um, official some sort of event or a ceremony. They would use anointing oil um, if they wanted to release a slave. That slave would be anointed for freedom. If there was a transfer of property, they would be anointed. If there was a betrothal of a wife, any of that sound familiar to our relationship? Set free as a slave, the transfer of property, the bride of Christ. But here's, here's the part that'll stick out to you if you read and you, live, you, you watch closely. He says he poured some of the oil on him. 
Now that's significant when you read the Old Testament, especially Leviticus. Everything that was done was done very specifically and in order. There were certain measurements, certain lengths, certain colors, certain materials. Everything was done so specifically to be right before God. And yet here we are with the picture of how they were anointed. And they were anointed without measurement. Anointed without measure. And we see through the New Testament what Jesus Christ came and did for us, brings the Holy Spirit to us, anoints us with the presence of the Spirit, John 3 tells us, without measure. Without measure. That's a big deal. To think that God would come in his plan for you to have priestly activity, for you to come and minister to others, to be able to distinguish and have immediate access before God, He would come and give you the Holy Spirit without measure, not just a little bit, but without measure to have everything that you needed. He anointed them. Verse 30 tells us he consecrated them. The New Living Translation says this phrase, he made them holy. He made them holy. He separated them, if you will. To consecrate something means to set it apart. In this moment, he distinguished the difference between the holy, say holy, and the common, say common. He distinguished the difference between the holy and the common, between the valuable and the not valuable. That's what happens on Antique Roadshow. These guys bring these things, and that appraiser looks at it and says, that's valuable, that's not valuable. That's valuable, that's not valuable. They stand before an appraiser, And the appraiser tells them the value. But listen to me, church. This is not just a separation from sin. This is a separation to righteousness. If you think that Christianity is all about not doing this or don't do that or stop doing this or keep from doing this, you're missing the other half. The other half of Christianity says, start doing this. You get to do this. We're able to do this. We have more that we can do. And some of us spend so much time, absolutely. We spend so much time living our lives like there's this line and I gotta walk this tightrope. And if I misstep, I've messed it. Not realizing that God has given us all of this freedom, all of this fullness to walk in. If I'm walking in the fullness of God, I don't care where that line is. I'm not worried about it. But some of us try to, we try to look, oh, I want just enough of me. And I, I like doing that. I know if I, if I go too far, it's too much. And you wonder why you never have freedom in your life. You never, why, you, why you can never run for God. Because we run out here in his freedom, not back there on the line. It's a big difference when you start to understand that. You'll do this in your parenting and not even realize it. Stop. Quit. Be quiet. Don't do that. Parents, Anybody? Can I tell you it'd be better for your children if you tell them what they could do instead of just what they can't? It makes all the difference in even how you communicate. Yes, Pastor Don, my kids jump on the couch. But I can tell them, hey, stop jumping on the couch. And if I do, I've only pointed out where they are and what's wrong. Or I can look at them and say, hey, let's put our feet on the ground. Same thing, different perspective. God's a good father. He doesn't want to just tell us what's wrong. He wants to tell us what's right. He separates us not just from what's not holy, but he separates us unto something that is holy. 
God wants to teach us not just what not to do, but what to do, and we see this in that scripture. It's not just a separation from sin, but a separation unto holiness, and listen, because you're valuable. He doesn't want to see something of such high value reduce itself, reduce yourself to trying to walk this tightrope when there's all this freedom that we get to walk in rather than focus on not what to do or what not to do let's focus on what to do because we're made for this and just like those priests that we read we were made to distinguish between the holy and the common in ourselves in ourselves and knowing that should change the way you live it should change the way you treat others here's the deal church You can't treat as common something that God has made holy and not expect there to be any consequences. You can't do it. You can't do it. God has called certain things holy and God has called certain things common. And where we mess up is when we get them crossed and get them confused. Am I right? See, a relationship with Jesus is what makes all of this possible. This ability to be separated from sin and separated to righteousness. It's that relationship with Jesus that makes all of that possible. Isaac, you could help me out. But a relationship with Jesus isn't a buffet. You been to a buffet before? Grab your plate, grab your spoon, your fork, your knife, and you get to decide a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oop, no, we'll move on. Get the next thing, a little bit of this. Listen to me, church. A relationship with Jesus is not a buffet. He's not something you just add to your life as if you've got an okay life and you're trying to make it a little bit better. We're not sprinkling Tony's on it. You either have that relationship or you don't. God is not in the business. He did not send Jesus to make your okay life a little bit better. He came to make your dead life alive to him in Christ. You gotta be able to distinguish the difference between what's holy and what's common. It's a bridge that must be crossed in order to get to the other side. You're either on this side or you're on this side. There's no in between. The good news is is that God has paved that way for us because he loves us and he knows the value that he placed on you. And I want nothing more than for you to realize that same value so you can see that. I told you Hebrews is a commentary to Leviticus. And I want want to read this to you. And it's not just a parallel, but it's a choice that we need to make. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It's go. Don't shrink back. Go forward in that. Remember, not just a parallel, but here's a choice. 
Dear friends, let's stop there. The author of Hebrews is saying this. He said, because I love you, I want you to get this. Look at me. I would not be the pastor I want to be to you if I didn't tell you some of these things in the way that I'm telling you. It's so important, dear friends. Don't miss this, dear friends. It's because I love you that I'm saying what I'm about to say. That's what he meant when he said, dear friends here. Listen, verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on just the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much more worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Church, we turn away from God when we treat common or of no value, that which he has called holy and valuable. Church, we turn away from God when we make sin and stuff in our lives, our idols, and by trusting in the value that God, rather than trusting in the value that God has given to Jesus to save our lives. The moment you take something that's common and you treat it like it's holy, you're turning away from God. The moment you give more priority to something than God wants you to give priority to, you've turned away from God. But look at me, church. We turn to God by agreeing to throw away and to forsake our sin and our idols and by trusting in the value that God has given to Jesus to save our lives. It's that easy. We turn from the common and the unholy and we turn to the valuable and the holy when we turn to God. You know, there are some other items that are brought to Antique Roadshow as well. And those are the ones that people think are really, really valuable. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. My mom says she got this from the Queen of England. And they set it up before the appraiser and the appraiser looks at him and says I know you think this was valuable but it's not I know you thought this was worth thousands of dollars but it's actually pretty common it's not rare it's not unique and there are some people I'm sure that walked away very disappointed that had put a lot of care and a lot of effort and a lot of attention into that thing that they thought was valuable. There was a lot of retirements they thought were secure only to find out, oh, I can get that at Walmart. And it made me wonder sometimes, church, how many things traveled there with great care only to find out later they were putting them on the curb, discarded once they discovered the true value of what they had. How many people have turned away from God in pursuit of something else that they think is valuable only to one day discover that it's worth nothing? We gotta take an inventory because we may find ourselves on that side of the antique roadshow. 
And I love you, dear friends. I want you to make sure that you're living your life the way that God wants you to live it, seeing the value that he has in you. Because I think if you knew the value you had, you would live differently. You would treat yourself differently. You would treat other people differently if you knew that value. Same chapter in Hebrews verse 10, or 10, verse 35. Look at this. It says, do not, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward that it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay and my righteous ones will live by faith. We love that verse, don't we? And my righteous ones will live by faith. Whoo! We skip over the second part of that verse. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Mm. And we spend our lives living for the things that bring pleasure to us instead of living our lives in the way that brings pleasure to God. And you knowing your value, you living your value, you treating others with their value, that's what pleases God. Not how much stuff you have. My greatest desire for you is for you to see the true value that you have in Christ. You are a priest for him. You are set aside to be holy and to do holy things. And I want you to receive that value that he has for you. And I want you to respond by simply receiving the price that was paid for you. Hebrews 10, 39, very next verse says this. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. You may ask, Pastor Don, how could a loving God send people to hell? Look at me. People are headed there on their own. That's what makes the gospel so amazing is I was headed there because I valued some things that were unvaluable. I treated common that which was really holy and God saved me. Jesus came and he paid a price that I could not pay. I've been rescued from that. And apart from that, God didn't send me. I got there on my own. He rescued me. He saved me from that. I want to pray for you today. If you can, bow your head. What did the owners of those valuable things have to do in order to apply the value that was placed on their items by the appraiser? What did they have to do? Nothing. Nothing but agree with the value that the appraiser placed? Nothing but believe the value that was applied? And nothing but confess it and start treating it like the valuable item that it was. That's it. Once the appraiser has spoken, the value is there. They didn't send them home to say, okay, now if you go do this and do this and do this and do this, then it'll be worth something. He said, no, no, it's worth it right now because the appraiser has spoken. And before Jesus, it's the same thing with us. What do you have to do to receive that value that God has placed on your life? I've asked you to close your eyes, not because I don't want you to see what's going on, 
because I want to eliminate distractions. I want you to think about your life. I want you to take an inventory. Are there things in your calendar, things in your schedule, things on your TV, things on your radio, things in your browsing history? You're turning from God to put value in those things instead of turning to him. I want you to look at the value you have in God through Christ. Pastor Don, how how do I receive that value? It's the same way. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've been treating common that which God desires to be holy. I have to believe that Jesus paid the price I couldn't pay and has put on me a value that I could not earn. I have to confess that he is Lord, turn from my sinful ways and follow him. Yeah, but Pastor Don, you don't understand. That's, that's gonna be hard. I'm too far in. I hear that small voice of the Holy Spirit, but I don't see a way out, Pastor Don. It, it's gonna cost me too much. Listen to me, church. It will cost you. What will it cost you? Everything. But what will you get in return? Everything. It'll cost you everything of no value and give you everything of eternal value. We're made for this. God set his loving intention toward you when he made you to be a modern day priest, a millionaire refugee, giving up the things of this world to take on the riches of all that Christ has for us and immediate access to God, our Father. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, the Holy Spirit has put his finger on some things in my life that I have been treating as common and I should be treating them as holy or things that I know are holy and I've been treating them as common. I haven't been treating myself the way that I need to. I have not lived in a way that honors the value that God has given me. From what you worry, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand up so I can pray with you, know who I'm praying with. Yeah, I'm talking, we're, we're talking born again, love Jesus, but there's some things that are out of order. Can you pray with me, Pastor Don? Let's pray, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and it divides between the soul and the spirit. It lets us see the difference between what is of our value and what is of your value. And right now, Father, we admit the discrepancy that's been in our lives. We believe the value that you have attributed to us and we want it to cause us to live in a different way. And we're gonna start treating ourselves and this thing according to the way you treat it, not according to the way that we do. And Father, I ask for all those in the sound of my voice that you would continue as you did those priests that we read about in Leviticus. You would allow them to be able to distinguish the difference between the holy and the common. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit without measure to empower us to live the way you've called us to live. Let it forever change the way we view ourselves, God. Let it forever change the way we view other people and treat other people. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been trying to treat it like a buffet. I'll come to church, a little bit of Jesus on Sunday. 
but I haven't turned from my sin. I haven't forsaken it. I haven't turned away from that. But Pastor Don, I want to. I, I don't have that relationship with Jesus. I've never been born again, but I want to. I want to allow the appraiser to place his value on me, to clothe me, to cleanse me, to anoint me, and to set me apart. If that's you today and you've never been born again and you'd like me to pray with you, can I ask you to lift your hand? Nobody looking around, just me and you. Anybody? Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. We're agreeing with the value. John chapter three tells us, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He says, you, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. And by very fact that you have raised your hand, you see something that you didn't see before in your life. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerating your dead soul, your dead spirit into life. And I wanna ask you, church, we're gonna pray with all of those as we repeat this prayer after me. And I'm asking you to pray it because you made this decision alone, but you're not living it out alone. And we're gonna pray this prayer together as a spiritual family. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church, can we give a round of applause?